Ephesians 5, 15-21, the title of the message is called Living Wisely. Uh, there we go. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord, what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, uh, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Amen. There's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Right? Knowledge is knowing the facts, knowing what we need to know. Uh, a different way to interpret what wisdom is. Wisdom is, I guess, use, using that knowledge, well, knowing how to use that knowledge. So knowledge is the foundation and basis of wisdom, but we need to have wisdom. That's what this passage is saying. Be wise. Know what is right, what is wrong, what to do, but you got to be able to use it, make the best use of it. And, uh, you know, our life is kind of like that. We can just know how to live versus we can use the life, one life that God has given to us to use it for the glory of God. Just maximize it, make it uh, useful for eternity. We can use it for this moment, but we can use it for eternity, making impact in the lives of people, uh, greatest re greater reward on our part as well as for the maximum glory to God. Mark Twain said, two most important days in your life are the day you're born and the day you found out why. Isn't that awesome? I wish I said it. One of those things, I wish I said it, but he said it first. I might have said it if he didn't say it, but he said it. So that's a wonderful quote, I think, for most of us. <laughs> uh, but pray that today you will find out why you're born. Oh, this is why I'm living kind of thing. Uh, four things we'll talk about today through this passage, how to live wisely so that we can use our life for the glory of God and impacting other people. First is plan your life, and secondly, manage your time. So plan your life is a big picture. In that big picture, manage of time is divided into smaller segments of time. Manage it. And then know God's will. Within that small segments of time, you know what to do. Living according to the will of God. And then to do that, to make it most effective in our lives, we need to be filled with God's power. Be filled with Holy Spirit to be able to make each moment count for the glory of God so that segments of, a, of time as well as a whole life we can live for the Lord. So it's, there's a progression uh, towards these outline for, so that we can live maximum for the Lord. First of all, plan your life. Ephesians 5, 15, it says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. How you walk is how you live. Biblical equivalent to how you live, not as unwise but as wise. Important word is the word then. It assumes that there's a reason for us to live wisely. 
And the reason is what Paul has been saying in the book of Ephesians. So a little bit of outline of book of Ephesians. I've been preaching through book of Ephesians for two years or something like that. Chapter 1 to 3 is about our identity, who we are. Chapter 4 to 6, nicely divided in half in 6 chapter. 1 to 3, uh, our identity, who we are. 4 to 6, because of our identity, how we ought to live. So uh, if you then think about six, first five chapters previous to this, right? chapter one is God's eternal purpose. Chapter two, God's individual purpose for us. Chapter three, God's corporate purpose as a church of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. And then chapter four now, he starts to talk about how we ought to live. As a church, chapter four is about church of Jesus Christ in the body local church especially. In chapter 5, how we ought to live as a local church in the world as we face the world. So uh, with that as foundation and the basis, because of who we are, how we ought to live as a church of Jesus Christ in the world, that's why verse 15 it says, then, therefore, because of that, that is a foundation. That's the reason why we ought to live wisely. The point is God has incredible plan in this world, eternal, individual, and corporate plan as a church of Jesus Christ. So we ought to live together as a body of Christ and we ought to powerfully live in the world. Therefore, because of that, we need to live wisely. God has eternal purpose, incredible purpose in this world. He wants to use each and every one of us and all of us together. We are the means that God used to change the world. That's why, therefore, because of that, we need to live wisely. So it gives a foundation of living wisely. And uh, another passage in Psalm 90 then teaches us how we can live wisely. Right? I don't, is, is it in the, okay, I'll just, it's not in here, but you all know the Bible. You all memorize the Bible, the Bible scholars. So I just, you know, read it and mention it. Psalm 90 verse 10, it says, The ears of our life are 70 or even by reason strength of 80. Saying you live 70 or 80 years old, years, and then there, I, I was speaking in this Korean congregation. There was some somebody who's 90. Like, what about me? You know, so <laughs> I said, I, I'm just, I was just reading the Bible verse. Years of life are 70, or even by reason, strength of 80. Yet their span is but of toil and trouble. And it says, they soon are gone, and we fly away. It says. So poetic. Basically, the point of that verse, Psalm 90, verse 10, is our life is short. And then next, for a couple verses later, Psalm 90, verse 12, it says this. So teach us to number our days that we may get heart of wisdom. So wisdom there is to, in short life, is number our days. Calculate, strategize how we ought to live. That's wisdom. And then a couple verses later, Psalm 90, verse 17, it says how we ought to do that. It says, beautiful verse. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. Favor of the Lord God be upon us. God's sovereignty. But then do we have any responsibility? Establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. God's sovereignty favors us so that with our hands we can establish the work of our hands. Wisdom. Life is short. So we need to number our days, calculate, 
And we need God's favor so that we can, he can establish the work of our hands for his glory. Wise living. Strategize. Plan. Uh, plan your life. That's what he's saying. All right. So this, what is this? <laughs> Toilet paper. One piece. Right? So if it's on the floor, nobody's going to go, whoa, like a like gold or million dollars, you jump and try to get it. Nobody will do that. You just leave it alone. It's not that important. It's not that important here. But it is important if you're like me, go to, you go to Africa. You go to bathroom. Nothing there. This is all you got. Then it becomes an important commodity. So you have to think about this. It's very important thing. <laughs> How are you going to use it? You got to strategize. Because, <laughs> because the wideness and thickness balances matters. So you have to calculate and think through how many times will I fold. You have to very carefully strategize how to use it. Because everything that makes this. Every part that makes this is important and useful. So you have to carefully use it to maximize it. This better be good. Why in the world am I talking? Our life is like this, right? We only got one life. Every moment counts for eternity. And we have to strategize how to use, how to live. I think that's what this passage is saying. Be careful how you ought to live. Maximize your life for his glory because every moment matters. And our life is important because, because of how we live this one life. Your whole eternity matters. It's going to impact your whole eternity. There's incredible consequence to how you use this one life that God has given to you. Where you're going to be and... How you're going to end up depends on this one life that you're going to live. So plan your life. I think that's what this passage is. That's the first point. Secondly, let's go to the second point, which is now with a big picture, we need to divide that one life into segments of time. And it says redeem time. Uh, Ephesians 5.16 says, make the best use of the time. Translate it, the best use of the time. Because the days are evil. Now, the best use of the time in Greek, original language, is just one word. One Greek word. It just means redeem time. It just means, redeem means free, free. Freed from like a slavery. The word you, redeem is used for, to uh, redeem a slave by paying the price and you buy uh, the slave. Basically, it, it seems to say the time is... Uh, you know, in prison, in prison because of sin. So free it. Free the, free the time from slavery. It's like, uh, you know, when we use it for ourselves, we use, days are evil, so we use it for ourselves. We use it for sin, but you can redeem it. Cleanse it, you know, for the glory. Free it from sin. So as we pray through, repent and, you know, all these things, we can use it not for ourselves, for the glory of God. 
There are a few words that I use for, in Greek word for time, to use time. You can use different kinds of words. Hemera is day, hora is hour, aeon is age. Uh, often the word chronos, the word chronology comes out of it. Time, that word time is just sequence of time. But this word that is used in this verse is not chronos, but what we call, you might have heard it, kairos. Kairos refers to a moment that is especially significant. So chronos is just sequence of time, but the word used here is specific moment that is special. So basically what he's saying is don't just spend time and make it an ordinary moment, but turn an ordinary moment by freeing it, by not using it for yourself, but for his glory, by his power, as the favor of the Lord is upon your hands so that you can establish the work of his hands. Right, turn an ordinary moment into an extraordinary event. And that's what he's saying. It assumes that we obviously carefully manage our time. So I'm going to talk about, is it in here? Five principles. Five principles on how to manage your time. I'll just briefly talk about it. First, of, first is determine the areas of your calling. What are the important, part, important things that are involved in your life? Or you are involved in, 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 in your life. So Ephesians 4, 5, 6 talks about three main areas. Work, family, church. If you're not working, your studies are like your work. Study slash work, family, church. And personal life. You know, These are some important things in your life. Important areas in your life. Then, secondly, divide the negotiables and non-negotiable aspect of your calling areas. So not everything about work is important, not everything about family is important, not everything about church is uh, as important, but really div divide the important areas, non-negotiable areas that you have to be involved in your family life, work life, and church life. So in your work, going to work, doing things, but going to social things afterwards might not be non-negotiable area. Same thing with church. Right? Going to small group might be important, but when they're going to eat ice cream after that, might not be non-negotiable, might not be negotiable area. Although, although some of you, ice cream is non-negotiable, right? I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about preference. So in these important areas that you're involved, divide the negotiable and non-negotiable aspects of your calling areas. That might help a lot. So it might take some time, but do that. And then thirdly, schedule in non-negotiable aspects of your callings. Important aspect that you cannot compromise, schedule it in. I know that some of your college students, you don't schedule things in. You got to do it. You got to do it. The earlier, the better. You got to learn to do it. Then number four, wisely determine which negotiable aspect of your callings will be scheduled in. That's game time decision, right? At moment by moment, you can decide. But if you've done number three, if you did number three, life becomes a lot easier. It's not easy. But easier, if you, if you had not done that, a lot more difficult. So wisely to determine which negotiable aspects of your calling will be scheduled in different moments of your life. Sometimes you might have to go home, family. Sometimes you might have to go to church. I think it's wise for me to go to church and do this thing. It, you know, different negotiable aspects of your calling. And then number five, when you're there, have a sense of calling. This is what God wants me to do. 
It might be studying out. It might be taking care of a family. It might be serving in a church at that moment because you've decided that, prayerfully decided, thought about that. And this is what God wants me to do. Have a sense of calling each moment as you live in different areas of your calling. Redeem time. So when you're there, be where your feet are. Be there with all your heart and serve the Lord. Serve others. Michael Jordan, I know some people compare LeBron and Jordan. not going to say much about that. Chicago Bulls fan. But I'm not going to say much about that. But Michael Jordan, you know, you have to understand when he was playing, most of the times he wasn't even playing for, in the fourth quarter because by the third quarter, there, Chicago Bulls up by 20, 30 points. For, fourth quarter, he wouldn't even be playing that much. What happened was, but when I see him play every moment, even though they're up 20, 30 points, game result is already decided, he never slows down. He always comes for back for defense. He rejects and then he dies for the ball. And that's why, you know, if he's like that, best players like that, all the scrub, all the lesser players, <laughs> sorry, basketball language, lesser players had to play hard too. That's why the team was good, right? Even though they might have been less talented than some other team. But then when you hear his interview, this is what he said. This is what he said. This, is, this was his philosophy. When you ask him, what's the score? Even though they're up by 30 points, he says 0-0. Zero, zero. And he's, what he's saying is the next play can determine the outcome of the game. That's his philosophy. Every play counted for him. Every play could determine the result of the game. That's why he plays so hard. And every player had to have that kind of philosophy. I think that's... A kind of reflection of what, what kind of attitude we ought to have in our lives. Every moment counts. You're not just coming here to be in a service today. Perhaps today your life can be changed because God's going to speak to you through this word. Every service counts. Every moment counts. And that's how we ought to live. Turn an ordinary moment into an extraordinary event. Turn a Kronos moment into Kairos moment. Turn a play into the play. Because of that play, Minnesota is going to win the national championship. <laughs> I don't know if that was a prophecy or false prophecy. Turn a play into the play. Turn a, a time into the time. Turn a moment into the moment. As the favor of the Lord may be upon you, may you establish the work of his hands each moment of your life. Every time, you know, I counsel a lot of people. And when I meet somebody for lunch, in the morning I'm praying for that person. And this is how I really think. Because of this two hours, two-hour lunch meeting, this person's life can be changed. And when I give advice, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think what? Advice will be helpful for this person 30 years later, 40 years later. And I don't know if I do a good job of that, but that's at least what I'm trying to, what I'm thinking about. I'm trying to have each meeting be Kairos meeting for the glory of God. And that's how Christians ought to live according to this passage. Talked about plan your life. Secondly, redeem your time. Thirdly, so big picture, divided into small, small segments of the time. Number three, now within that segments of time, right, 
know God's will, live according to God's will. Uh, Ephesians 5, 17 says, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So if we misunderstand this verse, we, we can think like, oh, we need to know what to decide before we make decisions. We think like that. We need to know how to predict and think about our future. We need to know before we make decisions. We think like that. That will of God, that's not what it means. Most of the times in the Bible. Most of the times in the Bible, God never tells us to know the future, make right decisions for the future. He never, you know, rarely is like that. Of course, God does sometimes. But even in the Bible, God doesn't do that all the time. That's why a lot of people make mistakes in the Old Testament, right? They don't really know the will of God ahead of the time and, and do this. So sometimes God shows to us ahead, very rarely, only few, maybe few times in your life. But most of the times, God's will means, means different things. Uh, there are two meanings to will of God in the Bible. Charles Hodges talks about two kinds of will. One is God's decretive will. God is, another is God's preceptive will. Decretive will is God's, God's hidden will, secret will. Preceptive will is God's revealed will. Now, what in the world does that mean? Hidden will or revealed will? Look at this. If this is a best verse... Uh, that illustrates it. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. This is what he said. The secret things belong. This is uh, Moses is preaching to the Israelites before they enter into the promised land. And he's giving the principle of how they ought to live in the promised land. This is what he's saying. Secret things belongs to the Lord our God. Secret will of God belongs to the Lord our God. Meaning, whatever that, that happens in the future, God is sovereign. God determines all these things. And that belongs to the Lord. You don't need to know it. You can't know it. You don't need to know it. What happens in Mar what happened in Mars million years ago? We have no idea. That's part of God's secret will. What happens to your cell, cell in your body? We have no idea. That's secret will that belongs to the Lord. That's what that secret things mean. Meaning, secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed, that's mostly what it means in the Bible by know the will of God, this and the will of God is God's revealed word. Uh, word of God that we read, the Bible. Yeah, of course, in that context, Torah, in that context, you know, uh, beginning portion of the Old Testament. The things that are revealed belongs to us. That's what we're responsible for. We need to know the will of God that is written so that those things can be guidance as that knowledge of the word become our wisdom. So that we can discern what, just decide what is best thing to do in each situation. Belongs to us, our, our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So up this passage, when he talks about you need to follow the will of God, he's talking about the word of God becoming guidance in our lives so that we can discern his will. We can decide in our lives and do what is right, what is best. In that situation. That's why Romans chapter 12 verse 2 means, you know, make sure your mind is fresh and cleansed. Not by the word, by the word of God. So that you be, you be able to test and uh, approve what God's will is. Word of God is, principle is. So that you can decide and discern what to do in each, each situation. That means you need to pile up the word of God, knowledge of God's word. Information minimum. 
until you learn to use it, understand it, see it in context. Not only you see the Bible, you see through the Bible. You have wisdom in your life. Accumulated, piled up word becomes wisdom so that when you decide, all these principles come to your mind and you'll be able to discern this is what we ought to do. Now, when you are able to do that, you're becoming a leader. You're becoming spiritually mature. You're ready to be a parent because your children are not going to be able to do that initially. You can make decisions. You become spiritual leaders. You become spiritual parent for the glory of God. So know the word of God. Apply it. Learn from the successes and failures of life. Success of your life and failures of other people's life, hopefully. Learning from theirs. Uh, and learn to discern and decide. Learn to uh, make decisions through God's written word as it becomes part of your wisdom in your life. That means we need to know the word of God and we need to learn to pray. And these things accumulate in your life. You become spiritual. You become wise. You can discern the will of God in your life. If Jesus was to be in your position, he would decide the same thing. You're becoming wiser. You're becoming like Christ. Good ideas can transform the lives of people, but God's ideas can transform their destiny. We, are, we should be filled with God's ideas in our lives. Uh, sometimes when we read the Bible, when we pray, we don't know if it's effective. We don't know if it's good. It's like that in, it's when it snows. This city knows about snow, right? I'm only from Illinois. You're from Minnesota. You know about snow. When it snows, it doesn't make any sound. But when it accumulates, you know what happens in the mountain? It becomes avalanche. Powerful avalanche. And then just covers all the dark and sinful cities. Uh, we need to pile up water, God. And when we need it, we're going to have a spiritual avalanche. It doesn't make any sound when we read the Bible and memorize verses. It doesn't make any sound when we pray. But, you know, I go to a lot of churches in the world, right? When I walk into the church, I can kind of sense how much prayer there is. And there are churches that has piled up prayer. When you walk in, you just feel like weeping. You have no idea why. But you feel like weeping because people have been praying in their church. Probably a, a grandmother in that corner, corner in tears, pray for the next generation. Probably a young man over there in the corner praying for his fallen friend. All those prayers pile, uh, pile up. So when people walk in, there's prayer avalanche. Shh, sound. And it just falls into your heart. And you start to cry. You start to weave. You are blessed. Word of God is the same thing. It doesn't make any sound when we memorize, when we understand, when we discuss, when we ask questions to understand what the verse says. But it piles up. So when you have to make a decision, shh, wisdom avalanche. You are able to discern and decide what the will of God is. Pray that word of God and prayer will pile up in your heart and your life. So when you talk, when you 
give wisdom through your talk. When you uh, give wisdom through your talk and there's power to what you're saying, the lives can be changed, can be changed for his glory. Prayer piles up. You, you want to know the uh, proof of that? What Jesus said to the disciples. Pray that you will not fall into temptation. Analyze that. Pray now. Shh, pile up. That you will not fall into temptation. Temptation prevalent. Shh. So you'll be able to say no to the temptation so that you can say yes to the glory of God. So pile up prayer. Pile up God's word. It will help you in your life. I remember uh, when I was in uh, high school. You know, you go through up and down in your spiritual life, right? Wow, I love the Lord. I'm not sure. China, uh, Africa, for missions. I want to go for your glory. Am I Christian? You go through up and down like, like that all out, you know, high school years. I think it was one of those moments I was like spiritually high. And I remember really being blessed in a revival meeting or something like that. So I want to go to church on my own in, I don't know, junior, senior high, high school. I want to go to church on my own and just pray all night or something. But you know what happens when you pray in a church. Somehow all kinds of noise, you know, happens. So you get scared. So I was thinking, okay, I can't go alone. I got to take somebody. So I talked to my friend and said, I think you're spiritually really filthy. You need to pray. And uh, if you go, I'll go with you. <laughs> so somehow lured him to go to prayer. We asked for a key, church key to our church, a pastor. And he said, young kids, I wanted to pray all night. So he gave us a church key. So we went and prayed. I don't know. And we're praying. You know, we pray Korean style at that time. That's how I learned. No, loudly pounding on the floor, walking up and down. I don't know. One of the evangelists said, I don't know why he said. One of the evangelists said, you need to go out and pull the tree. And I don't know what he was, I, what context, but if you pull the tree, God's going to listen to your prayer or something like that. So, you know, we're doing all kinds of things, walking up and down, rolling on the floor. We didn't know how to pray. We're stupid college kids, uh, no, the high school kids. So we didn't know how to pray. And then suddenly he goes, what are we praying about? I had no idea. I said, let's pray that we will see God. That's what I said. Let's pray we'll see God. I think relatively good prayer, but, you know. What does that mean? So we were just praying, crying out. You know, we still couldn't see God. So we went out, pulled the tree. You know, it just, all these things. Let me ask you, do you think we saw God or not? Of course not. <laughs> and I don't even know what happened after that. I just pray, I remember praying for a few hours. And then I think we fell asleep and then came in the morning. I don't even remember that. I just know that we've been praying like that. But let me ask you. Was that prayer useless or useful? Useful. Because I didn't, obviously, we didn't see God at that moment. But I see God now. I see God more than I see you. I mean, you're physically there. I really believe, not that I physically see, I really believe God is here. And I'm more sure of that than actually you being here. I can see God in this place because prayer piles up. There's avalanche. I do believe yesterday's prayer leads to present vision. 
present hunger will lead you to have future fire for the glory of God. Keep on praying. No sound, but it piles up. Keep on reading God's word, meditating, memorize it. It'll pile up. When you need to make decision, word avalanche. When you need to effectively speak to people for evangelism and ministry, prayer avalanche. God will use you for his glory. Let's go to the fourth point. Uh, we talked about big picture, plan your life. Divide into segments of time. Uh, manage your time. Redeem your time. Within it, will of God. Fourthly, be filled with God's power. Ephesians 5, 18, it says, do not get drunk with wine. For that leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Basically, this verse has two main verbs. Two main verbs. One is, don't get drunk on wine. Second is, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because they're compatible. Don't be influenced by alcohol. Don't be influenced in such a way because it stimulates your, it's depressant, right, physically. But it stimulates your sin nature, that's what he's saying. It helps you to lose control, self-control. Right? So... More, you are, you'll be more susceptible to sin because you may lose control of your heart. But opposite effect is true, right? When you read God's word and pray, your, your spiritual nature is stimulated. So don't be drunk on wine to be susceptible to, uh, you know, sin nature, movement of the sin nature. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. Make sure you're, you're moved by the Holy Spirit. Two main verbs. Uh, it's, it's good to think about this word, be filled with the Holy Spirit, one, uh, one of the main verbs. And sometimes, uh, you know, you have to look at it grammatically. So I like to propose, you know, this, this one main verb, it's a little grammatical thing. I know some of you nerds love it. And some of you artistic people, <laughs> What is this? <laughs> Draw a picture or something like that. But, uh, you know, we need both balance sometimes. But looking at this grammatically will, will be helpful. What God means here or what Paul means here, he says, is imperative. It means absolutely essential. It's a command. Be filled with Holy Spirit. We have no option. We have no choice. We need to be filled with Holy Spirit. It's passive, meaning it says be filled with the Holy Spirit. Even if we try, we can't do it. We need, to, we need God's help. God has to graciously fill us with his power by the means of the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we need to pray. We need to ask. We need to desire. And he's the one who helps us. Imperative passive. Plural. So it's not just me, but all of us. Church of Jesus Christ has to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And our empowerment, a little bit, talking about a little bit later, each person's empowerment matters to each and every one of us. It's not just me being filled with the Holy Spirit. Everyone in the body of Christ being filled with the Holy Spirit matters to me as well as for the kingdom of God, plural. But the most important thing is this is in present tense. In Greek, conjunction present tense means not just be filled with the Holy Spirit now, but what it means be filled with the Holy Spirit now and again and again. And again, and again, and again, basically, present continuous means now and forevermore. Uh, 
That means constantly, ceaselessly, uh, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, constantly praying, constantly being, uh, you know, filled with God's word. And Holy Spirit uses the word to fill us with his power. So uh, it's important that we are filled with the Holy Spirit okay, by his power. Now, this is a, one of the two main verbs. So how do we know we are filled with Holy Spirit? Right? And after this main verb, uh, now it gives three what we call uh, participles. Meaning, now it talks about three results or three proof of being filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, how do you know we're filled with the Holy Spirit? Uh, you, you have three results or three proof, three ways to see if we're filled with the Holy Spirit. You'll be able to do three things. Sing, singing, thanking. You'll be able to sing. You'll be able to give thanks. And you'll be able to serve. Right? These three things will be proof, and so we'll briefly talk about this. So when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you will sing. It's like that, right? When the word of God goes in, a lot of things come out. Word of God goes in, I believe you can sing. So when you sing beginning of the worship and end of the worship, which is better? If the preaching was good. <laughs> and I'm sure almost always is good. Then you, you'll be able to sing with passion. Word goes in, worship comes out. Word goes in, prayer comes out. Word goes in, offering comes out. Because you're thankful, you know. Uh, a lot of things come out as a result because our hearts are moved to serve and do things for the glory. The same thing. Word of God goes in. Holy Spirit uses it. You're filled with Holy Spirit. Singing will come out. Verse, that's what verse 18 is saying. Do not get drunk out. Do not get drunk out. Be filled with Holy Spirit. And then it says with uh, psalms and hymns and addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Different kinds of songs. Different kinds of music. Right? Making melody to the Lord with your heart. So there are it says sing to the Lord, but also it says addressing one another. What does that mean? As we are singing to the Lord, addressing, does that mean when we speak to one another, we sing an opera? Hello, how you doing? I saw a movie yesterday. You know, <laughs> how we're supposed to address one another in the body of Christ? Maybe, but I don't think what he's saying. I think what he's saying, as we are singing to the Lord, worship the Lord, what happens is that it cannot help, others cannot help but to listen. So when you sing to the Lord because the word of God goes in, singing to the Lord, you are getting blessed and you are receiving God's grace. As you're singing to the Lord, what happens is other people are hearing it, then your blessings will be shared to them. Their blessings that they re receive will be shared to you. Right? This is what it means by essence of koinonia, fellowship in the body of Christ. I mean, fellowship is not just sharing donuts in the Bible, but fellowship is sharing the bread of life with one another. Each and every one of us here will be blessed. So some people say, why can't I just worship the Lord by myself at home? Yeah, you can be blessed. But the thing is, you cannot bless other people, and you will not be blessed by other people. But if you're, let's say, if you're alone listening to podcasts or, you know, video, and you can be blessed. But if you're here getting blessed, not only are you getting blessed by yourself, you're sharing the blessing, and you're receiving 150 other people's blessings to you. That's why we need to be together. We need to gather together. Sing to one another psalms and hymns and spiritual songs as we sing to the Lord. Because each and every one of us are filled with the Holy Spirit. And we receive different blessings and we are sharing that without even us knowing. 
synergy happens. Spiritual synergy. For Christians, one plus one is not two. For Christians, one plus one is five. For us, one plus one is 150. We receive a lot more blessings. Powerful. We become powerful force when we gather together. That's why scripture constantly says, be together, be together. So say to somebody, I'm thankful you're here. I thank you you're here. I'm so glad you're here. God bless you. This fellowship happens. This fellowship happens not only when we're singing, when you're sharing like this, when you're talking, when you're sharing in small group, when you're saying hello. It happens all the time. Just by being present because we're spiritual beings, spiritual interaction is happening. Not just when we're singing, just being together. Just seeing somebody's hello. Just seeing somebody's smile. Just seeing somebody's face. Just by being present because we are spiritual beings. That spiritual interaction is taking place. Amen. It's a powerful thing. This is the essence of the church of Jesus Christ. This concept I understood many years ago. I still cannot, I'm not satisfying expressing and teaching it what I see in the Bible. I'm just so dissatisfied. Every time I talk about it, I don't have to, I'm sharing. I'm so dissatisfied of explaining the reality of this. Pray that you will understand what church of Jesus Christ means. That's why we need to gather together. And when we gather together, we become a lot stronger. We become a lot more powerful so that when we scatter, we become powerful force in Minneapolis and Minnesota area. We need to gather together so that we can scatter more powerfully for the glory of God. Another proof of being filled with the Holy Spirit, not only seeing, but thanksgiving. Uh, 520, giving thanks always for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, giving thanks is okay, but here's a problem. It says giving thanks always. Oh, you mean even if I get a B? Might be A soon. Some of, some of you, B is happy, but. You mean even if I get C? Even if I just got fired? Even if my mom has cancer, do I still give thanks always? Now, it doesn't say give thanks always for everything that happens. But it says giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Meaning, no matter what happens in your life, you're with Jesus Christ. So thank Him for that. And when He's with you, he will help you to go through everything that happens in your life. So we got to learn to give thanks. You know, I, often I don't feel like giving thanks, but I just made it a habit. Thank you, Lord. And then so that my heart can follow my commitment. I can follow, I can, my heart can follow the reality of what, uh, what's happening. That God is present in my life. He'll help us. So you start to, when you give thanks, you start to fight in your heart. You're declaring war, complaining heart versus thanking heart. When you give thanks, you start to see God. Sometimes when people complain, I go, where's your God? That's all they're seeing. When you give thanks, you start to see God. When you give thanks, you start to see the situation with God's eyes. Don't see God through your problem, but see your problem through your God. Here you start to see life in life, light of God's promises. 
you can overcome. Paul and Silas in jail, preaching the gospel. They're beaten in jail. In the puddle of blood, what do they do? They start to sing. They start to give thanks. They become heavenly choir in the dungeon, uh, preaching for the gospel. Heavenly choir, chorus of freedom, singing in dark place. Becomes the most powerful worship. They become bright light in the midst of dark dungeon. There's not enough, somebody said, there's not enough darkness in this world to put out a light of one candle. So if you are able to shine in the midst of darkness, giving thanks, singing to the Lord, there's nothing in the world that can put you out. Even though we're in darkness, we're in Jesus Christ. So there's always fire inside of us. Inspired by Job's attitude, though he slay me, will I trust in him? I love Psalm 23, you know, the Lord, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be right. He lies my down green pastures, leads me to quiet waters. He restores my soul. And then it says, even though, I love this verse, even though I may be walking through the valleys of shadow of darkness. You know my, what my favorite word is in that verse? Through. It doesn't say even though I walk to the valleys of shadow of death. Meaning valleys of shadow of death, no matter what you're going through, is not your destination. It's your path. We are going to go through it. Whatever you're going through, you are going to go through it. And his intention of you going through it, so that he can lead you to green pastures. So... You got to keep on going. If you sit there, you're just going to be there longer. So let's go through it. I went through different kinds of hardships. And I know many of you did in different degree, different way, different fashion. I went through, you know, a lot of hardships in my life. One thing I can say is I never had to stay there. Most of the things will pass. We will go through it. Sometimes we are miserable, right? I call it predominant misery. Your sinful nature here. So we go through hardship. We're not, we don't get what we want. There's predominant misery. All right? But what this verse is saying is, what this passage is saying is, make sure you see Jesus. Where is he? He's in there somewhere. Oh, here he is. In the corner. Then you rejoice in him. Thank him. And what happens? It grows. Your joy will grow in him. So your predominant misery can be overcome by your prevailing joy. Make sure you see Jesus in the midst of all this. So that your predominant misery will be overcome by prevailing joy. And he will help you go through all these things. Third proof. Singing, thanking, serving. That's what this passage is saying, verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay? If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll sing, you'll give thanks, you'll serve. Uh, you know, this passage talks about husbands serving wives, wives serving husbands, masters serving slaves, slaves serving masters, parents serving children, children serving parents. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, no matter what your role is, through those things, you're still serving other people. A lot of people ask, what is the inherent value of work? Like they go to work in, in their jobs and they can't see how 
working on with spreadsheet can spreadsheet can you know uh, serve God. And how can you serve God through your work? There are different ways to talk about work theology, but I would say this one practical thing. I would say this: you get paid right for your work. Yeah, very little, but you know I do get paid. If you get paid, you know why you get paid? Because somebody's going to use your work. Right? That means if somebody's going to use your work, you're serving somebody. Whatever you do in your job, you're serving somebody. And as you're faithfully doing this, make sure your attitude is, I'm serving somebody through this. So serve God by serving uh, somebody through those things. If there's a paper over here uh, and then you pick it up, you're serving somebody because if you don't, somebody else has to do that. We are always, we are interconnected. We're, we're living in a society that's so interconnected. So always serve somebody. Always serve God. Serve Jesus Christ by serving somebody in your job, at home, church, workplace. If we have that kind of attitude, Jesus will be shown to us. If our hearts are filled with the Holy Spirit, rather than wanting to be masters, to be served. If we serve, I think God will use us for his glory. Be filled with Holy Spirit. Uh, I've been to, you know, I, I was a worship leader for many years. So I've been to many kind of powerful worship. But I remember this worship in Ethiopia. Uh, there was preaching and many people dancing and singing for a couple of hours. And then they had to finish. Guy has to come out and make an announcement. And then everybody was just so filled with spirit. Singing to one another, singing to the Lord. And then they had to stop and he's giving an announcement except this one girl. In the front row, she's about 10 years old or something. Very pretty. She's like going like this. She had some kind of hat going like this. And I realized as I observe her, even though music stopped, she didn't even realize the music stopped. She was still dancing because the, even though music stopped, music in her heart did not stop. I was thinking that's how Christians ought to be. We worship the Lord and we're going to walk out. But music in our heart should never stop. Don't stop singing. Don't stop worshiping. Keep on singing. And then what do we do? You got to keep on dancing. <laughs> what, what is our dance? Our dance is this. We serve other people. And that's how we dance. Music to the Lord should never stop. Never stop dancing for the Lord as we serve and give to other people. Some of you are going through a hard time, huh? I can tell in your face. <laughs> no. Yeah. Many of us are going through hard times. But if you count how many things are giving you hard time, let's say some of you are going through one. Is it somebody or is it something at work? One. Maybe if you're going through a lot, maybe five, you're going through five things that are hard. Let me say this, even if you're going through five hard things in your life, God is doing million things that you don't know you can't see that is for you. Five things hard, but God is doing million things for you, for his glory and for your joy, for your good. To be strengthened and empowered and keep on going. Plan your life, redeem your time, know God's will. Be filled with the Holy Spirit to sing, give thanks, and serve. Wise living. I'm going to talk about one thing and we'll finish. We're going to communion. Uh, is, is, do, do we have a picture? Ah. 
Do you know what this is? It's a Korean dish called triple B. Bibimbap. Bibim means mixing. Bap means rice. So this is mixture, mixing rice. A lot of vegetables, some meat, egg, and then rice underneath. Bibimbap. Right? So, you know, sometimes you look at these vegetables. Some vegetable you like and some vegetable you don't like. Right? But it's all in there. What can you do? But go to the next picture. For it to be good, you need to have two, absolutely have two kinds of sauces. One is called chamgirum, which means kind of sesame oil. That's left side. Another is gochujang, <laughs> which means red, pepper, spicy, paste, sauce, or something like that. Red sauce, spicy sauce, right? So these two has to be there. Oil, sesame oil, and gochujang. Now, if you mix it, wow. Everybody's going to go to Korean restaurant after this. Usually when I talk about this, people don't go, wow, Woro guy is amazing. But they all go to eat this kind of stuff right there. So when you mix it, it becomes this beautiful bibimbap. Mix, mixing rice with vegetables. What in the world am I talking about? When I saw this one day, I saw the glory of God. <laughs> you know, our life is like this. When things happen, we have no idea why these things happen. Some things we don't like happens. Wow, thank you. Some things, uh, some things we like that happens. Wow, thank you. Some things we don't like happens. But thing is, it's all mixed up in our life, right? So we don't know why some things happen. We don't know why, uh, you know, why certain don't, things don't happen. We are thankful certain things happen. All kinds of things happen. But then our life is mixed. If we mix our life with two things, right, like, Sesame oil and gochujang. Gochujang represents like God's word. We look at the circumstance situation through the perspective of God, God's word. And then what happens? Holy Spirit, oil, right? Holy Spirit uses the word of God to help us to interpret things that happen in our lives. And then you realize as God mixes all these things, God uses all these things and God works for the good. Of those who love him. For his glory. And for our joy. So life is like that. Learn to see it from the perspective of God. Everything that happened in your past. God's going to use it. Just like Joseph. You intended for evil. But God intended it for good. For the saving of many lives. God will use it all. As you interpret it through the word of God. Overcome it. Grow through it. And God's going to. God's trying to produce something in you. Christ likes this in you. So he's not just repairing you through these things, but he's preparing you for something in the future. And through all these things, God is working for the good of those who love him, for his glory and for your joy.